Good morning again. If you would, please turn to Acts chapter 2. Yes, that's a, lo that's a lot of verses there. I'm going to be reading because I think it's worth reading first as a whole. Verses 14 through verse 21 of Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness." and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we, right here, are all witnesses and being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, 
he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word through his servant Luke. Let's pray. Father, may not one heart leave today without being stabbed by the Holy Spirit, cut, gloriously wounded with conviction of sin and the gospel. Help me, therefore, unfold once again this sermon of your servant Peter to the glory of the name of Jesus. Amen. Each man and woman, child and teenager in this room has the extraordinary privilege of hearing the very first Christian evangelistic sermon ever given. And the result may be your eternal salvation if you have not yet embraced Jesus as your personal Lord, Savior of your soul. It's guaranteed. Right there in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, everyone who does that, shall be saved. There's way too much stuff in what I just read in this long passage to cover it all in one message. And at the same time, it would be, I think, a shame to miss the forest for the trees, to miss the forest of the beauty of the way the Apostle Peter structured this sermon. And so what I plan to do this morning is to go through everything I just read so that we will feel the whole weight of this sermon that Peter preached with a bird's eye view flying over it. And then I plan to come back in the weeks to come to deal with some more minute issues that if you read slowly, they will arise out of it. That's my plan. So first, let's set the scene. Large crowds of all religious Jews gathered around Peter and the eleven and the other early Christians, another 110 or so, because of this extraordinary happening. Speaking in tongues, speaking in languages they never learned, praising God, and the crowds gathered around where they were now, most likely now over by the, in the temple, the outside massive court area, and some were saying, what in the world does this mean? And others were mocking, saying, they're just drunk! And that gave Peter his introduction to his sermon. Now what I want to do first is I want to summarize and get the gist of this whole sermon in less than two minutes. And so Peter says to them, no, they're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. But what you are seeing is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel over 500 years ago foretold, that God, Yahweh, will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. 
That's God's promise. That's what you're seeing. These friends of mine speaking in these languages is the sign that God today has fulfilled this promise of Joel's. Now let me tell you why He did it. You all know who Jesus is. Everyone knows the most popular preacher over these last few years with His miracles, etc. You put Him to death. You killed Him seven weeks ago. But God has raised Him from the dead and we are His witnesses that He came back to immortal human life. And then, God has exalted him on high, seated him at his right hand, gave to him, this Jesus, all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And that is why you are seeing and witnessing my friends and I speaking in tongues. This Jesus, this man has poured out the Holy Spirit, as Joel predicted. It is because of the Jesus you killed and that God raised and has exalted to His right hand that you are seeing and hearing what you see and hear. David, the great king, says concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord said, to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So therefore, let all Israel know for certain that Almighty God has made Him both Lord and Messiah. This very Jesus whom you crucified. That's His sermon. In a nutshell. Now, let's go back through it in the flyover and watch it again unfold. Start with verse 14. Luke tells us, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Notice the preacher said, pay close attention to what I'm about to say. Why? Because their very life Indeed, their very eternal destiny may depend upon how attentive they are. The preacher here on that day of Pentecost and in churches all over the world this morning is only one part of the equation. If the hearers don't really listen, well then salvation, sanctification, repentance, hope, joy, the moving of the Holy Spirit may pass them by. And that's true today as much as it was back then. Even Jesus Himself gave this solemn warning in Luke 8, take care or be very cautious or careful then in how you hear. Listen. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Even a boring preacher 
may have profound realities that could change your life and have consequences for your marriage, for the way you live, for your prayer life, and for your eternity. So take care how you hear. Take care that you are not exhausted Sunday after Sunday when you come into this place. Too tired to really pay attention. Take care that your smartphone isn't flashing notifications and text messages even though it's on silence so that it doesn't distract you from the precious treasure of the Word of God going forth in preaching in Jesus' community. Learn how to prepare for church service and for the Word of God going forth so that you don't have to go to the bathroom while the preacher's preaching. One hour. We all go to movies in the theater. They're on average two hours. And I know there are people who do get up. I don't understand those people when I spend my money. If I get up for three minutes to go to the bathroom during a movie that I think is worth paying for, I know that I might miss the entire key of the dialogue of that movie. The Word of God is even more precious than movies. Give ear to faithful Bible exposition and gospel proclamation. And that is what Peter is about to deliver. As he says, give ear to my words. Let's read on. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is, I'll tell you what it is, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then Peter goes on to quote from memory. He doesn't have a Bible in front of him or a scroll. He quotes from memory Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on <coughs> my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. That's what this is. Now, Luke says nothing in the passage about these early Christians on that day prophesying. Maybe they did. But he doesn't say that here. Or about dreams and visions. But they will. It will come and it will be a part of God's community of the saved. And the Joel passage that he recites does not refer to speaking in other tongues, unknown languages by the speaker. But Peter says, this manifestation of tongue speaking that the Holy Spirit is giving the ability to do, this is a sign that the Lord, Yahweh, our God, has indeed fulfilled the prophecy of Joel by pouring out the Spirit. The promise of the outpouring is that He will be using, He will be working through non-clergy, non-priests, non-prophets, non-kings. He will pour His Spirit out upon your average Joes and Josephines 
and they shall all be filled and they'll prophesy, they'll see visions. The manifestations of the Spirit will work through all of God's people then. That's His point. His Spirit was poured out on all flesh. Not just the elite. Not just men. There is no genuine Christian today who is without the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Let's read on the quote from Joel. Start with verse 19, now we pick up. He goes on quoting Joel. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. In other words, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit just the first part of the Joel passage, will be followed by a time of horrific judgment. Peter didn't know how soon that judgment would follow the outpouring. And one reason is because Joel himself in the prophecy does not indicate any what the time is between the two. As Peter quotes this, he is not claiming that that prediction of those judgments have taken place. What he is saying is that the Holy Spirit's outpouring, which now has taken place, precedes the judgments of that great, magnificent, scary day of the Lord. That's what he says. Now, just for a moment, when you, when you flip over to, to, to the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 12, okay, this is at least decades later, right? In the 90s when it's being written, it sounds very much again like Joel's judgment language here. When he, the Lamb of God, Jesus, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black Sackcloth. The moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell onto the earth. So it seems, at least from the 30s to the 90s of the first century, okay, that, that, that when Peter was talking about this judgment, it was a time to be coming later, awaiting the future. Peter's point is that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit predicted in the prophet Joel has happened. The messianic age has come. It's begun. And thus also be forewarned, therefore, that God's justice in judgment is on the horizon. That's one of the things this tongue speaking is showing you. And then, he's not done quoting Joel. Then comes the gospel. The good news that Joel prophesies. And Peter ends his quote with it. Verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My fellow Jews, that day. This is God's mercy promised over 500 years before. He offers to those who deserve His judgment, He offers them a way of escape. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will 
be saved. Implicit in this Joel prophecy, and it is exactly where Peter is going next, is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. He wants them to, f- he wants them to feel this. But that means this. The judgment of God is coming. And it's coming even upon you, my fellow religious Jews. But here's the great news. If you call upon Yahweh, if you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved from judgment. And that leads Peter now with all his fellow religious Jews he's preaching to, it leads Peter into unfolding who that Lord is. And that you, who have killed Him, you're offered mercy. Call upon Him. So let's pick it up. Verse 22. He's done with the quote, and now here goes Peter. Men of Israel, listen to these words. There he goes again. It's crucial for their and your souls to pay attention. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, Gentiles, the Romans. God raised Him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him, Jesus, to be held by death. So here, Peter lays out three ways that God has authenticated Jesus of Nazareth as Lord and Messiah. First, by his ministry of healing and miracles and signs and wonders. He says he was attested. He was, in other words, accredited. God had put his stamp of approval on Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth by his extraordinary miracles and healings and dominion over demonic spirits. And here's his point. He knows, here's his audience that day. Unlike when Paul will preach years later in Athens, his audience this day is, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) You've lived through this thing. Yes, and Peter, some of you have even said to yourselves, well, he cast out demons by Satan. And others, like the Pharisee, Nicodemus, says, nobody can do these things works, signs, Jesus, that you do, unless God is with him. So Peter's point is here, as you all know, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus was the most popular public figure in this area of the world over the last few years. Then Peter brings down the hammer. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of the Romans. Jesus' death may have appeared to you to be God's invalidation of his messianic claims. But boy, were you wrong. Oh, 
so wrong. It fulfilled the prophets. It fulfilled Isaiah 53. It was the very God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob who planned it. Predetermined it. And brought it about that he would die this horrible death. 700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, verse 10, Yes, it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him, Jesus, to grief. Jesus' death, Peter says, validated him as the long-awaited Messiah. But this does not in any way relieve you of your guilt by putting him to death. You are still responsible for your sin. Peter says it bluntly. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God is God. And he determines what will be. But no one can blame God for his or her own sin. And then comes the punchline, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. Okay. Now actually, from verse 24 all the way through verse 32 now is Peter's argument from the Bible for Jesus' resurrection along with his and the 11's eyewitness testimony. Peter in the sermon we do it the you know, I know we put the verses in, but he, there's one verse given to Jesus' life and ministry, one verse given to his death, and nine verses given to his resurrection from the dead. This is the main theme in the apostolic preaching throughout the book of Acts. The resurrection. So then Peter goes on now and he quotes Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 to 11, in order to show how the Old Testament prediction of the resurrection was there all along. So let's pick up in verse 25. Peter goes on. For, about this resurrection, David says concerning him, now we know the him Peter's referring to, Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades meaning the place of the dead. Hades is Greek, translates the Hebrew, Sheol, place of the dead. Nor will you let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Okay, so he quotes Psalm 16. Now listen to Peter's argument now out of that. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, about him, that he both died 
and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, mean his body corrupted. Okay, what do you draw from that, Peter? Here's, here's the conclusion he draws from that. Therefore, about David, being a prophet on the one hand, and secondly, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, David, that he, God, would set one of his, David's, descendants on his throne. We call that the Messiah, the anointed one to come, the son of David. He, David, foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, the son of David. Bring it over to Greek, we call it the Christ. That he, Jesus, that it spoke about, was not abandoned to the place of the dead, Hades, nor did his flesh, physical body, see corruption. He was raised on the third day. This Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we here are all witnesses. So what we have in the structure of his sermon so far, is that Jesus' miracles, healings, with His death, then His resurrection, they authenticate Him not only as Lord, but Messiah. Which leads to the real question He's answering at the beginning, to the fourth authentication. Based upon those three, in His resurrection comes the fourth. They were the foundation of the fourth, of God highly exalting this man to his own right hand in the heavens. And thus, having done so, in fulfillment of the prophet Joel's prediction, this Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit that you see and hear as you hear them babble away in tongues. Verse 33. This is how he says what I said. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the Father gives to Jesus the promise of the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then he goes into it. For David did not ascend into the heavens. But David himself says this in Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus has ascended and He has poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And one day, the judgment promised in the prophet Joel will come until I make your enemies a footstool. And then Peter closes out his message by putting it as concisely as he can. Verse 36. That all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Yahweh, the God who spoke to Moses is whom he's referring to, both Yahweh, Lord, and Christ. This Jesus, 
whom you crucified. You, and here's going to be a big question, right? I wasn't there that day. But is there something about your life that put Jesus on the cross? You who crucified Him, here's His message. You don't want to stay His enemy. You don't want to be His footstool because God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. That's his message. And for those who didn't get up and go to the bathroom that day, but instead paid attention, they gave ear to what Peter proclaimed, to them there is hope. And hope not just for that crowd on that day of Pentecost, but hope for every soul in this room this morning. Because if you have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit says through the words that Peter preached, then the truth of what Peter preached will be felt deep down in your heart. It's right there. Read on. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The message of the preacher of a sinful human preacher cut them in the heart. Sin became Obvious to them. And remember, Joel said, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from judgment and guilt and your sin. And so that's why they say, tell us what we need to do. Where, were, where was that coming from? It was coming from the reality, what the text said. The Holy Spirit stabbed them in the heart with conviction. Conviction of their sin their need for mercy. Oh, say it again and slowly. The Holy Spirit shined a light through the message of Peter into the hearts of many of these hearers so that the ugliness of who they really were before God and how sinfully desperate they were for deliverance from God's impending judgment. The Holy Spirit did that. And that is a beautiful thing. This conviction of sin, of guilt, is crucial in gospel preaching. Crucial 
Because unless a person gets in touch with the reality of their lostness, though people may tell them they're found and saved, they won't be. So here's Peter's application to his sermon. And it is the application to mine this morning. Verses 38 to 41. You ask, what shall you do? Happy to tell you. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like we did. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And listen to this. Of course the sermon was longer than this in the conversation. And with many, many other words, Peter bore witness. Of course they did. Let me tell you about two and a half weeks ago, we were up in Galilee, and I'm telling you, isn't this right, guys? We sat down and we ate fish with Jesus. And they told story after story as they bore witness to His resurrection. And Peter continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. His answer was, in light of the Gospel, repent. Repentance at its core is recognizing your sin and your guilt and your wrongdoing and feeling deeply horrible about it and then calling upon the Lord for mercy as you turn away from loving your sinful ways. Where's faith? If you don't, if you didn't hear it there, okay, how do you not hear it? You can never have true saving faith without repentance or repentance without faith. There are two sides of the same coin. Stay in the water and be wet. Get out of the water and not be in water. You can't be in both at one time. If you turn away from one, you turn to the other at any given moment, at any given time in our lives. They cannot be separated. It's faith and repentance. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And So here before Peter, there are thousands of persons before him. And he calls each of them to an individual response. Salvation is always a very personal transaction with God through Jesus Christ. It's not a group plan. And then Peter tells him, you do this. And you see what happened to us today? It will happen to you. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And we got, you'll get. And so then Peter beckons them. Come, my fellow Jews. You who killed Him, come. And make your public declaration in front of your fellow Jews by being baptized. And thus, from now on, 
publicly identifying with the crucified Jesus. And then finally, verse 41. And so, those among the crowd, which was very large, who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so as I close, the gospel never gets old to those who treasure it. So no matter how long we've been in Christ, let's be in wonder about what we heard through Peter. And if you're not sure you're in Christ, call upon the Lord Yahweh. Because upon that man, that historical man born of Mary, as Paul lets us know in Philippians, because of who he was before he ever was conceived in Mary. After his resurrection and obedience, his exaltation, Almighty God, the one God, bestowed upon that man the name. The name that is above all names. So that at the name of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that that man Jesus Christ is Yahweh, Lord. And He's merciful. Because the great wonder of myself knowing I'm responsible for Jesus' death because it was His love to save me from sin that He went to the cross. That's how merciful He is to all who call upon Him for such a glorious eternal salvation. Let's pray. Worship this great King. Father, You are good. And I trust the word of your grace by the power of your Holy Spirit to work mightily, savingly, sanctifyingly in us here this morning to the glory of our Lord and Messiah and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.